starring Bela Day in... But, Ma, that's my favorite movie! Oh, well, all right. But don't you spend too much time in front of that TV, do you hear me? Yes, Ma. Hello, everybody! Welcome back to another episode of my podcast, But Ma, that's my favorite movie, and... I am your host, Bela Day, and I actually have a special guest joining me today, which this guest has been here previously. Uh, I couldn't even count to you how many episodes ago that was, but they're here. Would you like to introduce yourself or say hi? Hey, everybody. How you doing? All right. So, um, oh, you want to say your name? (laughs) Ahmed, the one and only. (laughs) Who are you? Your amazing boyfriend. Oh, Lord. You know, he pulled a Kanye right there, okay? Um, but anyway, so yes, my boyfriend will be joining me again. Um, well, he will be joining me in this episode. We did another episode before, which was uh, But Ma, That's My Favorite Disney Animated Movie, uh, where he talked about uh, Monsters University, and I talked about the Goofy movie, But um, we're bringing you something totally different today. But first, before we go any further, of course, I have to thank my listeners. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back, for, you know, being a day one, because you're a real one, period. And if you are a new listener, well then welcome thank you so much for lending your ear for stopping by for giving this podcast a chance i appreciate you and guess what you are in for a treat which will hopefully keep you coming back for more all right so today's episode is titled and babe would you like to do the honors with me you ready (laughs) <laughs> but, but Ma, that's, that's my, my favorite, favorite military, military movie. movie. All right. So I think that sounded pretty good. What do you think? I think that we actually did pretty good on that. All right. So let's see here. So, okay. Basically, today is Veterans Day, right? Uh, November 11th. And sometimes with my themes, I like to play on holidays or just you know, different events or things that have came up. So it did feel very right to just go ahead and honor um, the troops and people um, that this day is dedicated to. So we're definitely going to talk about movies that have some relation to um, some type of, uh, like, how would you say, like, not like a military or that have just two characters that have been in some type of uh, branch in like the military. I hope I'm saying that right. Does that sound about right? Baby, you can actually talk in front of the mic. Yeah. He like nods his head. It's funny because it's like, you're so used to sometimes when you communicate with someone and they're right in front of you, you just assume like, yeah, like, okay, we're here together. Like, she knows what I'm talking about. But yes, baby, if I ask you a question, <laughs> just talk to it in the mic. <laughs> All right. I say, okay, who would like to do the honors of going first? <laughs> okay. I think, he, I think you got it. Okay, my boyfriend's pointing at me, but I feel like it's only right since the last episode, 
I had went first because I was like, let me just show you how I do it, that it would make sense that you go first. All right, guys. So for Veterans Day today, I have chosen to do one of the most emotionally gripping (laughs) and satisfying war films of all time. And for those of you that know Mr. Clint Eastwood, you guys would know that I'm talking about American Sniper. Now, American Sniper was originally released in the U.S. on November 11th, 2014 at the American Film Institute Festival. Now, American Sniper explains the biography and life experiences and transitions of Chris Kyle, who is the number one most high-ranking sniper and special forces marine history who is portrayed by Bradley Cooper. And for those of you who don't know who Bradley Cooper is... Then you've been living under a rock, clearly. Yes, because... Most of his films have hit the big screen and have grossed over so much money. For example, The Hangover, A Star is Born, Limitless, The A-Team. I mean, I could just go on and on. I mean, Bradley Cooper is a well-known A-listed actor. And and you know my favorite movie with Bradley Cooper. Tell me (laughs) something, girl. Oh, yeah so you know that's my favorite but yes we definitely know bradley cooper i gained so much respect from him in that movie but i digress baby you can continue (laughs) all righty so bradley cooper portrays chris kyle who started out as a ranch hand with his dad back in midlothian through his youth years growing up from being a kid to a teenager to an adult you know he's always done things like bull riding deer hunting wild hog hunting you know just things of that nature that you would do in rural texas Mm -hmm. you know and for most of you that live here you guys know what i'm talking about Yes, because we are from Texas. I don't think I've actually mentioned that before. But um, so, yes. Yeah, so in regards to the movie, so what, how does it start off? So it's like him. So the opening scenes open up. We see Bradley Cooper aiming down the scope of his sniper. And he has the target aimed at an eight-year-old boy mm. who was handed a grenade by his mother. Oh, wow. And basically started running towards a U.S. convoy and a bunch of soldiers and before we see bradley whether he's going to take the shot or not the scene builds up the intensity he's taking a deep breath he's sweating he has his finger you know shaking on the trigger like he's just ready to pull it and before we see anything happen the scene cuts to where he's a young boy and this is where the film starts to progress and we see his father training him with a trainee sniper rifle mm-hmm. and he's hunting a deer and he hits it 100% dead on right in the head then he goes to church with his brother and this is where he steals his lucky bible now for those of you who have never seen the film his lucky bible is a bible that he has had with him since he was i think elementary mm-hmm. so he steals the bible from church when he's with his family and he carries that bible with him throughout the years it's a little mini bible it fits in his pocket and somehow every time he's been shot or he's been shot at i mean he makes it survives out. it not only survives it but makes it out with barely a scratch i mean you'd be amazed 
And so one day, Chris Kyle comes home from one of his bull riding tournaments because, you know, that's what he was mostly doing during his adult days, bull riding, ranch hand, farming. He catches his wife cheating on him. And when he catches her cheating, of course, you know, he does what any, any boyfriend would do. What I would do, which beats the living crap out of the dude she was cheating with, throws him out the <laughs> oh house <laughs> and tells her to, you know, get her bags and hit the road. So his brother and him are, you know, talking about the situation, just having a cold beer, sitting, talking on the couch when the news comes on and we see the bombing of 9-11. Oh, so yikes. he's looking at the TV. He's watching this. And for some reason, it really intrigues him. So he look, look, gets up, looks at the TV closer and starts to think to himself, I'm tired of seeing this country getting hurt. I'm tired of seeing people trying to tear down and harm our country. So he decides that he's going to join the Marines. But when he gets to the Marine signing up office, they tell him that he qualifies for a special force Marines. So once he signs up for the special force Marines, he gets a hard time in the military once he gets in there at the beginning because he was 30. And for most people that join the military, they do it between 18 to 20. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because he was considered old, they gave him such a hard time. But through training, he toughed it out. He stuck it out. And, you know, slowly, progressively over time, he starts to build his reputation and earns the nickname The Legend. Oh, and, wow. Yes. And an interesting fact about Mr. Kyle is that he actually served in four. Let me see. I think it's about four. One, two, three, four. Four wars. The 2003 invasion of Iraq. Second Battle of Falaj. I think that's how you say it. And the Battle of Remedy and the Siege of Sadar City. And he was also awarded with the Silver Star, Bronze, let me see, Bronze Star Medal. Now, during his first tour, he is basically tasked with making sure that the Marines are able to go through the battlegrounds, go through the houses, do the sweeps, do what they need to do without, you know, of course, being killed. And, you know, he gets stationed on a rooftop for his very first time. And then this is where we lead back to the scene of he has a sight aimed down at the boy with the grenade. Okay. And so the boy, once he gets handed the grenade by his mother, he starts running towards the tank and the soldiers. Mm -hmm. And Chris is basically on his radio asking for confirmation if he could take the boy out. Yikes. But I could tell he doesn't want to because literally. I mean, that's a little boy. He doesn't want to take out a kid. I mean. I know. And I think that's where he starts to get messed up because he says to himself under his breath, put it down don't pick it up and of course you know what happens so once he starts running towards him he takes the shot and he hits him right in the head <sighs> oh yikes yeah and you know once that happens that's where his mind starts to get a little bit messed up mm -hmm. from the war because that's not the only kid he's had to shoot so i mean that would explain why he's getting where he gets his PTSD. because i think what really happens is you know I'm I'm just assuming the thought of killing someone, especially if you're not like, um, I don't want to say like a born murderer, but like 
you know, there's a difference. Like they've done it scientifically, uh, what a murderer brain looks like versus a normal brain. And like someone who murders people, they don't have like that conscious, they don't have like, I want to say maybe like empathy and things like that. And so if you're someone who does that, that's a lot to bear on you, even though, you know, you're serving your country and all of that, it's still a lot to bear. So, I mean, that's completely understandable why, uh, whenever they, you know, get done serving or when they leave that they're so messed up by it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he, he's lived a pretty intense life. I mean, dude's been through four tours in mm-hmm. Iraq, you know, the most brutal battlefield known to man on earth. And, you know, another thing that I'd like to add in there is when he joins the military and he's on his first tour, you know, him and his team, they get tasked with having to take down this terrorist group. Now, the thing about the terrorist group that made them hard to kill was they had a sniper of their own who was just as good as him. Mm, So it's like he met his match. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, this is all based on a true story for those of you who didn't know. And, the sniper that the terrorists have was also an Olympic shooter. So, I mean, this guy, like I said, he's as good and as evenly matched as Chris Kyle. And so throughout the film, he's just, you know, it takes all place on the same battlefield. And, you know, he's continuously just rapidly taking out multiple, multiple soldiers. And, you know, they just can't find them because he's so quick. He's so precise. He's so on target until the third tour is when, Chris, no, I'm sorry, it was a fourth tour. The fourth tour and his last tour in Iraq is when he finally gets in a confrontation with the sniper. They get ambushed by him, but somehow he's the only person that's been able to do this, but this is, like, my favorite scene in the movie Uh and, like, one of the best. He aims down his sight, and he can barely, barely see the guy, and he aims down his trigger, and he pulls it, and hits them from more than a mile and a half away. How that's possible, I don't know. It's a miracle. But, you know, once he did that, he gave off their position because they were camping out to try to catch the leader of the terrorist group. And I think it was about, what, 50, 40 hajis just started storming the building. And you want to know how badass and amazing this guy is? Forget his sniper rifle. I'm talking about with a basic AR-15 and a regular scope. This guy was taking him out from the top of the building, too. <laughs> I mean, it was hard to reach him. And even when he got out the building, he had got shot in the leg. But somehow he was able to still run after that van and join his soldiers and leave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's he's been through a lot. You know, there's one scene in the film particularly where the leader of the terrorist group goes into these people's houses. Because, you know, Iraq is war-torn or whatever. You still got the people that live there that don't want to leave. And, you know, most of the city's evacuated. But we have this one scene where the leader grabs this boy out of a house from his family and starts torturing him, basically. And the way he tortures him is he drills a hole in his leg, and then he drills a hole right in his head. And, yeah, and then he shoots his father and kills him and tells the family, you know, if they try to help the Americans, the soldiers, or they try to, you know, give him the whereabouts or give him shelter or anything, that he would come back and basically finish the family off. And eventually, you know, they don't leave. The the 
the soldiers, you know, they yeah. still stay in the same city. Mm-hmm. And one of their intel, credible intels, leads them to a restaurant where basically the leader's being held up. And it turns to be an ambush, but, you know, eventually they get the leader and the situation just gets more intense because the remaining families that still live in the evacuated city of Iraq, you know, take to the streets, they arm up, and they're basically, like, trying to gang up on the marines because they're like we're tired of it you've been here for a long time too long you're killing our people and it's not stopping and so you know the situation gets really really bad and they have to shoot their way out and at that moment is when you know chris kyle aka bradley cooper you know picks up his uh sat phone calls his wife and tells her you know i'm coming home i want to come home and i think at that moment is when you know he's seen too much bloodshed you know war you know just really messes you up i mean it's not an easy thing to go through it's not an easy thing to be a part of and so when he comes home he's still different i mean the war changed him he has a lot of ptsd he has trouble focusing he has trouble sleeping you know anything triggers him and makes him go in a tactical mode i remember there was this one scene because of what happened with the boy in the drill he was getting his car worked on and you know they had to use the gun to put the screws back on the car and as soon Mm -hmm. as he heard that you know he freaked out and so what happens is him and his friend eventually you know end up coming back home being with their family and this veteran reaches out to chris and says hey you know i've been through the same thing as you i need some help you know would you mind coming over and spending some time with me and you know chris takes them up on his offer and he goes over there you know he picks them up and this like i said once again is based on a true story everything that i'm saying exactly you know he goes to lancaster texas in the dfw he picks them up he takes them to a gun range you know trying to hang out with them getting to know him spend time with them when the guy whose name is let me see eddie ray ruth now eddie ray ruth has had a long history of mental illnesses ptsd suicide you know, just a bunch of problems that Mr. Kyle was unfortunately not aware of. And so he takes a gun, he shoots Chris dead, he shoots his friend dead. And when asked in the jury, in the courtroom, why he did it, he said, during the time that they're hanging out with him, they did not speak to him, which I know doesn't make sense. But apparently... A Texas jury has found Eddie Ray Ruth guilty of the murder of U.S. Navy SEAL Chris Kyle, who wrote American Sniper and his friend Chad Litfield. The judge sentenced Ruth to life in prison without parole. Prosecutors had no thought of the death penalty. Okay, and, uh, you know, just to clarify, um, in the movie, they do not actually have... um, any of that information shown about his actual killing. Um, so just talking about like on the basis of the movie, cause we know basically this is a biography and you know, he was in um, the special forces Marines. Um, and so um, you were saying just kind of basically like the premise there is it's just showing his life 
from a very young age, he had a talent of sniping, pretty right. much. Right. I mean, this this talent, you know, started from when he was a boy, you know, led on to when he was in sniping school. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he got 100 on everything, got 100 on his targets. I mean... And then what they were basically doing is, uh, like, throughout the movie, because I've never personally seen this movie, but they're flashing back and forth. So it's showing the the root of where his PTSD was coming from. Right. Like how he got into there and then the root of it and then how he was trying to um like you mentioned before transition back into civilian life. Right, right. Yeah, so I mean that's basically like the premise there, but um what you were mentioning um towards the end, it's not in the movie. Um but that is some added information. So I don't know if you want to finish reading that what you had. Um because unfortunately, you know, I and I remember hearing about Chris Kyle. I remember um I think they showed it like on the new like news it was everywhere. And then I even remember when this movie came out, it was a huge deal. Um but I personally I've never seen it. Um uh, but I would say this, hearing you talk about it would actually make me want to see it because I've never been super interested in it, but um hearing you talk about it would <laughs> Make me want to watch it. So I mean, it actually sounds pretty good. Yes, I mean, like I said, you know, it's a very, very unique war film, and it's very emotionally gripping. I mean, it's just so much that goes into it. I mean, I do highly recommend it. I mean, mm-hmm. me personally, I think it is the best war film up to date. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. Um. But yeah, did you have anything else you wanted to finish that you were just saying? Because it will. Uh, we have some other little behind the scenes information um, I that mean, you would like to talk about as well. Or was that it for that? No, no. I, I have some more information I would like to uh, give to our listeners. And for those of you who live in the DFW, and another interesting fact is a memorial service was held for Chris Kyle's at the Cowboys Stadium in Arlington on February 11th, 2013. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a very 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 big funeral i mean once you watch the film at the end of the credits during the credits while they're playing they also play the footage of the funeral which i thought was a very beautiful and nice tribute and you know i really like that ending and i never knew that that's where they had the funeral i was like oh my god was it the memorial or the actual funeral because the memorial is different the memorial okay memorials basically they're not gonna have the body there the funeral, more than likely, they're going to have the body there where you can either view it or it's going to be closed and they're paying like their last respects. The memorial is just just simply just paying respects um, like in remembrance of them. Does that make sense? Yes. He was actually buried at the, c- the cemetery in Austin. Oh, OK. OK. So did you want to go over the behind the scenes information? Yes. OK. So um, did you want me to read it off? Okay, so um, at his peak, uh, Bradley Cooper could deadlift 425 pounds, twice his body weight, for five sets of 10 reps each. Cooper said that during a workout scene in this movie, he was deadlifting 425 pounds, even though the filmmaker suggested he use dummy weights for the scene. Oh my God. That's a lot. I mean, he was he was pretty big and buff. And I mean, a hundred is a lot. Four hundred and twenty, because they probably knew how to be honest, how you know risky that could be, and so you know they don't want him to have 
you know, because you can get like a hernia in your back. You can strain a muscle really badly. And, you know, sometimes you can do something that's going to damage you for life. And, you know, so they probably didn't want to take that risk. But, you know, he was probably really into character. He wanted to keep it going. Anything else you want to say about that? Bradley Cooper only oh, spoke well, going to- on to the next one. Yeah, Bradley Cooper only spoke to Chris Kyle one time on the phone just a couple of weeks before Chris Kyle's tragic death. It was a two-minute conversation, according to Cooper, since Kyle's death. Cooper dedicated eight months to bring Chris back to life and to honor the Kyle family. Cooper did such a great job that the Navy SEALs who had known Kyle and trained Cooper said they felt the presence of Chris when Bradley was around. And okay, so let's see. So another uh, fact that we have here is... The script originally included a reenactment of Chris Kyle and his friend Chad Littlefield being gunned down by Eddie Ray Ruth on that fateful day. This was to appear at the end of the movie just before the funeral, but it was vetoed by his widow, Taya Kyle, as it was too harrowing for her and too gruesome to have it shown to her children. Which I can definitely imagine that probably was. Um, yeah. Like, because, uh, like, if I think about the movie um, Selena, you know, that shows, you know, what happens to her at the end, because, you know, unfortunately, Selena is not here with us today. And I just remember as a kid watching that and being very sad. So I can only imagine, um, like, for example, her husband looking at that movie today. I remember, actually, this is kind of sidetracked, but um, and I'm going to do this movie in the future because I absolutely love this movie. But um, it, it like he was tweet live tweeting while he was watching the movie because it came on TV and he was kind of like debunking things that had happened on it. And then he was like, he couldn't finish the end. Because, you know, obviously he knows what happens because that I mean that I mean, he's like a widow. That was her husband. And so they were together when she had, um, was murdered. But anywho. Yeah. So I can only imagine, you know, them not wanting to put that into the movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, OK, so uh, did you want to mention? OK, you talked about Bradley Cooper. Um, but the director of this movie, a huge director. Oh, yes, of course. Now, this is a subject I would love to touch on. The director, of course, is the one, the only, the best Western, Mr. Clint Eastwood. Now, for those of you who don't know Clint Eastwood, I'm sure you've heard of some of his masterpieces, like um, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, his infamous role as Harry Callahan and Dirty Harry. And the Deadpool, Magnum mm-hmm. Force. What's another good Clean Eastwood movie? Not Million Dollar Baby. Grand Turismo. Oh my God! Don't say that. There we go. Million but, Dollar Baby was a freaking brilliant movie. But for those of you who love Clean Eastwood, I would have to say, and now this is a film I highly recommend, and I think is the best of his career, is The Mule with Bradley Cooper and As well. Clint Eastwood. So they've pretty much worked on two scripts together. Two productions. That is awesome. Sounds good. So, yeah, if you definitely want to, uh, you know, get into a military mood, that would definitely be a movie for that. And um, we're going to go ahead and just um, transition into the movie I'm going to talk about today. Ooh, okay. Uh, Hold on. You said the title of your movie, right? Yes. (laughs) 
American sniper. <laughs> okay, I hope you did. I don't know if we did or not. I forget. But anywho. All right. So, because y'all know how I do when I talk about my movies, okay? So, lights, camera, action. I think they sent me to the wrong place. Uh-huh. See, I did join the army, but I joined a different army. I joined the one with the condos in the private rooms. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so I'm going a little lighter today in my movie choice. And to be honest, I'm trying to think of all the other movies that I've done. And I'm wondering if I've done a comedy before, because this is definitely a comedy. So the movie that I'm talking about today is going to be Private Benjamin. And um, that uh, little excerpt there quote is by uh, Judy Benjamin, who's the main character of the movie, who's played by Goldie Hawn, and also the captain uh, Doreen Lewis, uh, who is played by Eileen. Eileen, I was gonna say Eileen because you know I'll be pronouncing stuff wrong, guys. Eileen. Brennan. I hope I said her last name right. But anywho, this movie was released October 10th, 1980. Now, what's something that's kind of funny, like, and it's not like any way kind of connected, but it kind of is. So we have this movie was released on October 10th. And that's actually my dad's birthday that day. Not that year, but that day. Um, and Chris Kyle had died on February 2nd, yeah. um, which was that was the day I was born. So I don't know. It's just crazy. The numbers and stuff. I don't know. Y'all know how that stuff be, you know, tripping me out. I like connections to stuff. Um, anywho. So we have the writer. Uh, we have a couple writers here for this movie. We have Nancy Myers, um, who also wrote it's complicated and something's got to give. We have Charles Shire who wrote father of the bride and the 1998 version of parent trap. And we have Harvey Miller, who um, wrote some episodes for Getting Away with Murder and The Odd Couple. Uh, the director we have is Howard Ziff. I think I said that right. I thought it was very interesting that he directed My Girl 1 and 2. And if you know anything about My Girl, that is a, well, it has a sad ending. But, you know, that's a movie that's probably made a lot of people cry. All right. So we're going to go ahead and get into this summary okay so we have our main character that i mentioned before named judy right and judy all she has wanted in life is to have a life of luxury and stability and to be with a professional man you know whatever that is like a dentist or a lawyer or you know whatever you define a professional man as okay so that's all she's wanted simple right so when we first meet her she's getting married to a jewish man named yale who is a lawyer so she's getting like this you know pretty much lavish wedding her friends or family are there they're just having a good old time and one thing we learn um, at the reception, and it's actually mentioned by her uh, dad, is that this isn't her first marriage. This is her second marriage. And so it still looks like her dreams are coming true. So she had one failed marriage, but, you know, she's still living the life. She still has, you know, the type of man that she's always wanted. 
So, you know, everything is going as planned. Everyone's having fun. Everything's going smoothly. No issues. Now, after the reception, you know, of course, this newlywed couple, they go home and they're about to prepare for bed. And um, Yale um, basically comes up to Judy like while she's in the bathroom and wants to have sex. Okay. He's like, and she's just like, um, I don't, cause she's in the bathroom. So she's like, uh, like this is not romantic to, you know, do it on the bathroom floor. Like let's go to the bed. But he's like super persistent. He's like, no, like he's just trying to lay her down. Like he's just ready to get it in. And so she, she's kind of, um, uh, she's, I guess you could say she's like a passive person, like what we've learned about her personality. She just kind of goes with, you know, whatever the other person wants. She doesn't really contest or, you know, speaks out a lot. She just goes with the flow. So she lets him do his thing. They're on the floor. She's like, okay, I'll just let him, I guess, get it in like he wants to, whatever. And unfortunately, um, while they're, you know, he's doing the do, he like towards the end of it kind of starts making like these choking noises and you're not sure exactly what's going on. And she doesn't know either because she starts, uh, you know, she's thinking, okay, he's done. (laughs) And then, um, she like, you know, doesn't, I think she thinks he like passes out or something, but, um, unfortunately it turns out he dies. So she literally, her husband dies the same day that they get freaking married. And so because of his death, they have to have the funeral. And after um, the funeral, Judy is really grieving and she somehow ends up in a hotel, which I'm not sure. I don't know if something happened to the house, but she ends up in the hotel and she begins to reflect and realize that she's always been with someone since she was two years old. So this is like the first time in her life that she's been alone. And at this point, eight days have passed and she's just all by herself and she's actually <laughs> crying um, to a uh, radio DJ, uh, just spilling out all of her issues because she has absolutely no idea what to do herself because she never really had her own identity. She was always basically like clung to someone else and, and just, like I said, go with the flow type of person. Not like she has her own mind. She has ambitions, goals, all that stuff. So she, you know, spills her feelings on this radio station, like late at night And so at some point, the radio DJ is basically like, um, yeah, we have other callers on the line. And actually, it's callers that want to give her advice. And so out of all the callers that are, you know, giving her advice, um, there's actually this one guy on the line who basically is offering to help her get a new life. He's like, well, I know something you can do that's going to help you build confidence, this, that, and the third. So she ends up meeting up with this guy later who turns out to be Sergeant Jim Ballard, who basically convinces her to join the army. And at first she's hesitant because um, she's not quite sure if that's something for her because If you see the type of girl she is, even though she doesn't know exactly what she wants to do, ARMY is definitely not on the top of her list, right? But when he describes it, he's like, oh, it's easy, like, basically, like, easy peasy, like, you're just 
you know, you're just gonna fill out this application. You're gonna go, um, we're gonna pay you this amount of money. Um, you're actually gonna be able to go on vacations to Europe. Like we're gonna take all, take care of that for you and just making it seem like it's a breeze. And we all know you have to put in work when you go to the freaking army. But of course he's not making it sound like that. And so she does agree. She's like, okay, bet I'll join. And then, um, after she ends up swearing in, she goes to base cause she, um, initially lived in, I think she said, Phil, I think she was in Philadelphia. Um, I forgot what place she was at, but she ends up going to Mississippi. So she, she pretty much, she's gone from the North to the South and she ends up, you know, having a rude awakening. So, um, when she first goes to the base, this was like her first wake up call. She was asleep on the bus. When all the girls get off the bus, uh, there is this sergeant name or no, actually it's either sergeant or captain. I forgot which one he is. Um, but hold on, let me see real, real quick y'all. Uh, yeah. Okay. He is a sergeant. So Sergeant Elsie Ross, who is played by Hal Williams, um, it has the girls cause he's like their first introduction. Okay. And you know, in- initially it's like, n- we're not playing games. We're going to whip y'all into shape. Like y'all going to learn how to like take commands and orders and, you know, get yourself together. And he knows that there's one person missing, which is private Benjamin. And so one of the girls says, Hey, yeah, I know. Cause he's asking where is she at? And the girl's like, Oh, she's on the bus. So he goes on the bus, she's sleeping and you know, he's like, you know, Benjamin, wake up, like kind of being sarcastic. And she's like, Oh, are we here? And he's like, yeah, time to get up. And she's like, no, I'm going to sleep for a little bit longer. And he ends up picking that girl up and throwing her off that damn bus. And then like demands for her to, you know, uh, do some push-ups because you know, when you don't obey commands or you're doing your own thing, then you get punished for it. And so, she's so naive. She's so clueless. And we definitely get to, um, you know, see all of that and just her, uh, rapport with people. So when he tells her to do push up, she goes, well, can I check into my room first? And then they have to go and get their uniforms. And she asked the person, do y'all have any other color except this one? So it's like, she's not even realized what she's gotten herself into. And so, um, when all of the rec- new recruits are, um, going to the barracks, cause you know, all the women are together. So they're in their barracks. One girl even asked her if she's a reporter because she's like, cause she's still in her civilian clothing. She's trying to put on makeup and you're thinking to yourself, who's putting on makeup while you're in the army. Right. Cause once again, she is just, she does not understand what she's done. And so she's like, oh no. But she was like, you know what? I'm actually not going to be staying here. Um, there was like a big misunderstanding. So I'm just going to talk to like the manager and clear some things up. Cause this is not the place that was, you know, that I was told that I was going to be at. Right. And so then Captain Doreen Lewis comes to the barracks because this is the woman that's, you know, over the barracks. Now, I don't know the terminology or anything like that, how they do it, but she was in charge of like these women, like this, these were her troops, right? Um, and she was basically examining the new recruits and then just seeing how they had their, you know, bunks set up and just, you know, basically trying to set, um, an expectation of what she's expecting from them. 
And so whenever she gets to Judy, um, pretty much Judy kind of like pulls her aside and she's trying to make it clear that she's in the wrong army. And she's like, yeah, I cannot sleep with all these other strangers. This place is like really dirty. And um, she's like, I'm and see, that's the quote um, that I did earlier. That's where that came from. (laughs) She's like, I'm supposed to be in the army with the condos. Like (laughs) I'm supposed to have my own room. She's thinking the army's like a vacation or something. Um, I guess maybe she lived under a freaking rock. Okay. Um, even if you look at pictures of people in the army, it does not (laughs) look like a vacation. So, uh, after basically, you know, Doreen is just letting her rant, letting her talk all her foolishness. She then asked her like, can I see your toothbrush? And this will lead to the next scene where Judy is actually cleaning the toilets with it. So this was like her first assignment. Like you think this place is so dirty? Well, guess what? You're going to use your toothbrush to clean it up. So then Judy is realizing very quickly that she's not going to be having a good time like she thought she was. Um, she's having to run miles, do the obstacle courses, she's having to take orders and commands. And so this is just a very different lifestyle than what she was used to. So at one point she even tries to escape and gets caught in like the barbed wire on top of the fence. And one of the other quotes is, uh, well, she gets caught. Some people are trying to like get her, you know, on, untangled right and then they end up calling the captain over to see what she's done and the captain's like you're not made or she was like you're not made for this uniform and Goldie Hawn's like or Judy's like no shit like what'd you why do you think I'm trying to leave this bitch for real I don't even want to freaking be here so then that caused it because okay if one person messes up of course everyone is going to get punished for it So basically what they do after she gets caught, um, they make the, all of the girls go outside. They have to walk in a circle with like raincoats on because it's like raining really, really hard. And so this makes Judy upset. And this is when she really starts crying. She starts whining just about how much she doesn't want to be there. Like, I want to go back to my old life and I'm sorry guys, I didn't mean for this to happen, but you know, I don't want to be here. And you know, pretty much all the girls, like some girls were on her side in the beginning and trying to help her. But then, at this point they're like girl I am so over you like we had to wake up in the middle of the night because you tried to escape now we have to freaking walk in a circle like this is all your fault like if you just sat your butt down somewhere and do what you need to do there would be no issue and so um at one point the girls they um command them that they can stop you know walking in a circle and Judy actually ends up getting um called to like this different room in the building And so when she goes to that room, she actually finds her parents there and her parents are looking at her. She's looking at them. Now, to be honest, at this point in the movie, I was like, why are they looking at her? Like, well, I was thinking they were probably like, girl, what are you doing here? But it turns out she actually never even told them she was going to the freaking army, which granted she is older. She doesn't have to technically tell her parents anything. I'm thinking she's probably in her late twenties, maybe early thirties at this point. So she don't have to tell them, but her parents are like freaking out. They're like, we didn't know where you were. We called the FBI. Like they're freaking out. And so then her dad basically goes on this tangent, like, 
he's basically saying, I'm so embarrassed of you, which was funny because they thought it sounded better for them to tell people she was in a mental institution than to say that she enlisted in the army. <laughs> like, and I'm trying, and, and I know it's a comedy, but I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what is so bad about the army? Like what's so embarrassing about being in the army versus a mental institution? Like they were making it seem like that is the bottom of the bottom. Like that's peasantry going to the army, which uh, I know that was just them being the comedy of it, but it was funny. And so, um, so her dad, he's upset. He then goes into his tangent telling her like, you know, I bought you your first car. I did this. I did that. You should be so grateful for everything that I've done for you. And then he goes on to say that, you know, you're not smart. And, you know, even tells his, cause his wife is kind of like appalled that he's saying, telling her that. And he's like, no, we have to tell her the truth. You're not smart. Like basically at this point, you can't make decisions for yourself. So I'm going to keep my eye on you because you obviously you're not competent enough to do it for yourself. And what's funny is Captain Lewis comes into this room, happily has Judy's bags, has a paper. So basically she could be discharged, right? And so she's trying to like tell her parents, oh yeah, she was a hard worker and you know, she did this, she did that, whatever, right? And she's like, yeah, Judy, um, just go ahead and sign this paper and you're free to go. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't think you could just get out of the army like that, just the sign of a paper. But uh, that's how bad they didn't want her to be there because <laughs> they were willing to let her just sign, sign a paper so she can go. And so as, you know, Captain Lewis is trying to hand her the paper, trying to get her to sign it, something goes off in... Judy's head and she actually decides to stay because I think after hearing that okay my parents have always been there for me they they've done everything for me um these people actually sound like they want me to go and she realizes that quite possibly this is actually going to give her purpose that she never had in her life and so basically she puts on her big girl pants. She starts to fall in line. Her confidence starts building. She starts basically becoming a woman that she never knew she could be or what she was. And, you know, there's much more to this, um, but I, I want to go ahead and stop that there. Um, but this is definitely a real like woman empowerment type of movie for sure. Um, just, you know, letting you know, like, you know, there's more to life, um, than sometimes what you can expect, or sometimes you can get things out of life that you wouldn't expect. Um, so this is a really funny movie. I did enjoy it. This was actually my first time watching it. I remember seeing behind the scenes and stuff of it. And there's only one scene I really remember in this movie. Um, but I did really, I did enjoy it. So just going over the cast here, we have Goldie Hawn who plays Judy Benjamin. She was also in Overboard and Death Becomes Her. So full circle moment here. Um, I talked about Goldie Hawn a couple episodes ago when I talked about just the movie Death Becomes Her. Absolutely love her. Then we have Eileen Brennan uh, who plays Captain Doreen Lewis. She was in Clue and Murder by Death. We have Armand Asante. Um, who plays Henry Tremont. He played in Gaudy, an American gangster. Do you know Gaudy? Of course. Are you talking about the one with um, John Travolta? I think so. 
I have to look it up to see. But it said Gotti. I don't know. If, is there an older version, Gotti? I believe so, yes. He probably was in the older version if there was one. Um, so then we have Robert, because I forgot there was a new one, so I didn't specify it. But anywho, we have Robert Weber, who plays Colonel Clay Thornbush. He was in 12 Angry Men and The Dirty Dozen. We have San... San... <laughs> We have Sam Wanamaker, who plays Teddy Benjamin. He was in Raw Deal and Holocaust. We have Barbara uh, Berry, who plays Harry, Harriet Benjamin, who plays in Breaking Away and, uh, and did a voice in the movie Hercules. Uh, Mary Kay Place, who plays Private Mary Lou Glass, who was in Being John Malkovich, which I need to watch that movie, and Girl Interrupted. We have Harry Dean Stanton, who was Sergeant Jim Ballard, or Ballard, who was in Alien, which I know you love that movie. Yes, I have to show it to you one day. One of the best horror (laughs) sci-fi films of the decade, for sure. Um, And he was also in The Green Mile. We have Albert Brooks, which I was so surprised, because when I saw his picture, when I looked up the cast, I said, oh my God, I know who that is. He plays Yale Goodman. Um, He did the voice of Marlon. Um, and Finding Nemo, the dad, <laughs> and uh, bro- uh, the movie Broadcast News, we have Hell Williams, who was Sergeant L.C. Ross, who was in the 227 series and Guess Who. We have Tony Kalman, who was Private uh, Tina Jelani, who was in The Wanderers in 15 Minutes. We have Demita Jo Freeman, who was Private Gloria Moe. Uh, the, she was in The Man with the One Red Shoe and Elvira, the Mistress of the Dark. We have PJ Souls, who was Private Wanda Winter, who was in Halloween, and Carrie. I thought that was super interesting. Um, we have Alston Ahern, who was Private PJ Sawyer. Uh, they were in The Jerk and The Day After. We have Craig T. Nelson, last but not least. Um, he was Captain William Woolridge. He was in the series Coach. He was in... He did the voice of the dad in The Incredibles. He was in The Poltergeist. He played in my show Parenthood. Um, so he's been in a lot of stuff. And um, it was cool seeing him way younger in this movie. Okay, and some some of the uh, behind-the-scenes information that we got here. So PJ Souls, the one that was in the horror movies, I think. Hold on, was that her or was that the other girl? Uh, hold on, PJ Souls. Yes. Okay, so she... When she auditioned for the film, she was wearing a dark wig because Goldie Hawn didn't want another blonde to feature in the production. So, I mean, that sounds like Goldie Hawn was a little bit of a diva. I mean, did she earn that though? Yeah, but you know, I don't know. Everyone wears hair differently, but I guess Goldie Hawn was like, yeah, no, only me be blonde, okay? Now, uh, the next thing I got here, almost 100 sets at the Burbank studio were built for this picture's production. Holy crap. That's a lot of sets to make. That's a lot. Um, Let's see. The next thing I got, off-duty servicemen and women were used as extras extras for the war games and basic training sequences as the replica basic training course was so authentic. That was really cool. They got to use some, you know, real service uh, men and women there. Uh, Then we have the poster and the video art for the movie is a parody of the poster for All Quiet on the Western Front. I've never seen that movie. The name sounds, I've heard the name before. 
And I will tell you this, when you look at the cover of the movie, more than likely you get the vibe of what the movie's about. But when you look at the cover of this movie, you think it's a dark movie. And see, maybe if I see uh, the all quiet on the Western front, I would understand it better. But it just seems like it's a darker movie. Like maybe it would be a dark comedy. Um, But this movie is much lighter than you would think. Um, Next thing I got here, whilst making this movie, actress Goldie Hawn was going through a divorce from her then-husband, Bill Hudson. And Bill Hudson is actually the father for Kate Hudson. So if you know the actress Kate Hudson, um, that is her mom, Goldie Hawn. Uh, So, and and as we know, she's currently with uh, Kurt Russell. That's her uh, life partner for sure. (laughs) But, um, okay, moving on. So, uh, Premiere voted this movie as one of the 50 greatest comedies of all time in 2006. Uh, then we have every other studio turned down the film before Warner Brothers said yes to it. And Warner Brothers is my dream studio to work for. Um, they're at the top of my list. And... Like I always tell you guys, just because you get 12 no's doesn't mean you need to give up or just in general, don't think just because one person doesn't want to work with you that another person won't. And then last but not least, um, this movie is included among the American Film Institute's 2000 list of the top 100 funniest American movies so yeah this is definitely a good movie I really enjoyed it and um I mean this is that's pretty much all that we got here is there anything else you would like to add babe nope I think that uh sums it up for today's category of but ma that's my favorite movie (laughs) yes all right guys well thank you um so much for uh tuning in today thank you babe for doing this episode with me even though i'm not gonna be a butthead (laughs) but uh all right guys well the show is over the credits are rolling and the curtains are closing i will see you at the next show time